Dran Azizi is a longtime stand-up comedian and actor who will be bringing those stand-up talents to Austin this weekend, headlining the comedy Mothership. Two shows Friday night, two shows Saturday, a show on Sunday. Only tickets that remain are for the late Friday and Sunday shows, and it's just the GA tickets of that. Go to ComedyMothership.com to snag those. Steve, thank you so much for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing great. For people just listening on the radio show right now, they cannot see your background, but people watching the video can see that you have a really cool Mike Tyson's punch-out picture directly behind your head, and it is signed by Iron Mike himself. Kudos on what I think might be the coolest piece of paraphernalia that I've seen in somebody's <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was awesome. I got that at a, a charity golf thing, and I, you know, you throw your name in a hat, and I won that, so I was like thrilled because – you know, Mike Tyson's punch out was one of my favorite games and one of my favorite boxers of all time. And, you know, obviously since then he's become like a cultural icon. So that's one for the, uh, yeah, that makes the wall. And there were layers of conquering Mike Tyson's punch out. Like obviously the ultimate is working your way all the way through, but you could also yep. your way to, to iron Mike by doing the code. I don't recall what the code was, but uh, it was very, very well known by me and my brothers back in the eighties and nineties. Oh, really? I only remember the Contra code with the up, up, down, down, left, right. Left. I, that's like, that's all the way back to those are the days. I mean, I, there was, I'm sure if I got the game in front of me and I would, I would be like Jason Bourne going back and be like, there it is. But yeah, that's the Contra one's the only one that stuck with me. So yeah. Yeah. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. BA select start. It gave you 30 yep. lives and you could usually beat the game on. Boom. Con that was it. Perfect. So simple back then. My kids I've Easy got, a living. Nine, got a nine and seven year old. Now my kids play Fortnite, and they've got all these things and all these things that they're spending money on. I'm like, all you need is a couple of guns and a couple of bad guys at the ends of levels. And you can have, that's what I said. I go, where are the cheat codes? Like, why are we buying Peter Griffin skins? Why, why, why are like, why can't you just hit a couple of buttons and then bingo it pops up? Like, aren't we supposed to be more developed as far as hacking is concerned than we were back then? There's no way we could, we hack Nintendo. We were not brilliant back then. You know, was, I don't know what happened. We, I think they put like the, the games are harder, I guess now. Everything has gotten softer. The games have gotten harder, but everything else has gotten softer. We as a people have gotten softer. Even the controllers have gotten softer. You used to be able to spike those Nintendo controllers off the ground like Rob Gronkowski after he scored a touchdown. <laughs> now you drop a, an Xbox controller, you're having to replace it three days later. Yeah, no, they're uh, they're fickle pieces of machinery now. So, and I think it's just you know that everything is so advanced now that it's like once the technology breaks, well, then it's just useless. Just buy a new one. That's the way it's going to be. We're going to have a gigantic, gigantic mountain of uh, of controllers in the ocean someday. That's probably where they all go. <laughs> That's right, the uh, floating garbage patch of yeah. video game controllers. So in preparing for this conversation, Steve, I uh, did what uh, I do for most of these conversations, and that's listen to podcasts that you've been on recently and also social media stalk you. And so I uh, rediscovered, I guess, that you are a big New York Giants football fan. I was high on the Giants headed into the season. Obviously, Dan Daniel yeah. Jones' injury was a big deal. But how did things go so sideways for the Giants like they did? I thought this was going to be a huge year for Saquon. He's been all right this year, but the rest of the team has not followed suit, especially after the optimism that everybody felt following 2022. I mean, I went to opening day against the Cowboys, and our first drive, we were marching down the field. And I, I remember the feeling of saying to myself, this is it. Like, we are, we've taken a step forward, and we're, we're marching down the field opening day against our division rivals, nothing could have stopped us. And literally from that moment, I remember it. 
when they 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 threw the pick and the other and and the Cowboys came from that moment on, it's been a disaster. Now there have been moments of like, wow, okay, Tommy DeVito and the whole thing, which is a bright spot for the season. But for the most part, you know, Daniel Jones getting hurt, inconsistency in quarterback probably doesn't help at all. But the offensive line is just it's been it's been terrible. It's it's not a well coached unit. They don't get they don't seem to get much better from week to week. They never put weeks together in a row. So uh, I think that's a it's been a, a problem for a long time. It continues to be a problem. Um, I you know other than that, bad luck, a harder schedule, um, and so yeah, that's what it comes down to. Injuries are tough. I think all the top quarterbacks that make the most money. I think out of the top five or six, only two of them or maybe one of them is playing right now. So, you know, it's not just the problem that was ours. It was the Vikings. It was everybody else who's got their starting quarterback that got hurt. But when you are not a great team, then when you lose a good player, then it, it you know, it shows up big time. So, I, you know, I, I don't I'm not down on the team. I, I'm not like we're back to square one, but I'm not thrilled, obviously, with what what has happened. I, and I, I truly, I mean, I it sucks to say, but I don't want them to win this weekend. I don't want them to get blown out. Like last weekend was the perfect scenario. Put it, make a competitive team, a competitive game, and we lose it. I want a top five pick, and um, you know what what they decide to do with that pick that you know that'll be left for discussion. But I don't want to move move any further away from the number one pick. You're taking one of those quarterbacks if you get a top five pick, right? I know that last year everybody was high on Daniel Jones, but you got to roll the dice with somebody else at this point, correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I would think so. I, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna trust in Joe Shane, he didn't, you know, they, they, these this new administration, Shane and Dable didn't pick Daniel Jones. Uh, I think they they realized they could probably make something out of him. They did last year. I I don't blame Daniel Jones. I really don't. You know, the no. guys had bad luck. The one year he had with a great new coordinator and uh and um you know general manager he had a great season last year this year the injury bug got you know bit him he's been pretty healthy up until this point but just had terrible coaching and and uh coordinator so i don't blame him but if they wanted to if you wanted to give them the keys to drafting another quarterback and and starting from scratch on a rookie contract you know you you really only owe one you know you could have daniel jones start and have the other guy back up or you know reverse it if it's going well enough you only have to pay Daniel Jones for one more year. So uh, I wouldn't be opposed to it. But again, I've been I've been on this like soapbox. I understand that you have to draft for what you need. But like I want to draft the Giants offensive. I want us to draft our offensive lineman that is like our Joe Thomas. Our guy that's going to put a, a, a gold jacket on in, in 12 years from now. That is just synonymous with New York. Like the guy that's going to make sure our Quentin Nelson, who we could have had. You know, our guy that's going to go the offensive line, other players may come and go, but I am going to be the, you know, it's not Andrew Thomas as good as he's played. It's not Evan Neal to this point. They keep trying with these top, but like, I, I just get that right. Let's get that right. Now, obviously the Penn state guy might not be there that the offensive line, but like, if it's going to be something like that, I wouldn't mind a big splash like that. I wouldn't mind doing something like that because even if you get this young kid in, you got to protect them, especially in the beginning. Look at the difference between Houston and Carolina, you know, Bryce Young's running for his life most of the time. And CJ Stroud has a big, decent command of the, of the offense because they protect for him, you know? So it's, it, 
I think you can't get there unless you have the right sort of, you know, protection. And that's what I'm a firm believe. But if, look, take a quarterback. I wouldn't blame him. So I'm an NFL bastard at this point. I was an Oilers fan back in the day, and it was an adult when the Oilers got ripped out of Houston, tried to root for the Titans. That was didn't work. Like they fell a half yard short of a Super Bowl title, and it didn't affect me at all. And the Texans, uh, you know, they're cute, but I'm, I was also an adult when the Texans came to be, and you got to be a kid to really form those hardcore allegiances, right? So I'm more of a Texas Longhorns fan than anything else. I've watched that program toil and near obscurity for the last 10 plus years now because their lines of scrimmage were so bad they finally have started gotten that, getting that right in the last couple of years and look what happens they make it all the way to the college football playoff went went to the game in new orleans on monday it's why my voice sounds like this right now i apologize and even though they fell a little bit short you feel great about the direction that they're headed because they finally gotten the line of scrimmage is good and so everything else becomes so much easier when that happens you can make a mediocre team look really good with a good line of scrimmage. If your best unit is your offensive line, you're going to have a pretty good football team. Okay. You may give up 40 points on the back end, but if you can block for your quarterback, regardless of who they are, you give an NFL, a professional athlete who gets to the point where he's going to, he's considered quarterback in the NFL enough time to throw the ball. Most of them will get the job done. The good ones will get, will be, will look great. And the great ones will be unstoppable. So uh, it, to me, it's the most important, it's the most important, uh, unit in the entire football team. You can get, you know, look at the Broncos in the, in the nineties, you get those guys where insert running back here, but we have the offensive line and the offensive scheme to run the ball and make everyone look good. It works. Steve Scar, Scar Steve Scar, how do you say his last name? Sarkeesian. Yeah. I mean, he's emphasized that a couple of years he's turned the team into you know obviously uh, uh, uh you know they were in playoff contention to win this year and you build an offensive line you protect your quarterback you can run the ball you can bring you and you will and you will attract other top quarterbacks when you know hey we're going to put you behind a bunch of dudes that are going to take care of you it make it helps yeah, Sam Tripoli is going to be upset with you for not being able to pronounce his fellow Armos last name I know correctly. Sarkeesian and it should be <laughs> Steve Star Steve Sarkeesian. There we go. I got well, it right. one thing that they're doing also on top of getting the line of scrimmages right, like the level of roster management that's required at the college level right now. Yeah. Into none, including the NFL level, because you're not only having to placate to these high school kids to get them to commit and then eventually sign with you, you're having to stay on top of them throughout the entirety of their time at within your athletics program, within your football program. And he's doing a good job of that, keeping the guys that he wants to, letting the guys that he doesn't want go, while also just nailing it in the transfer portal too, just going after the best guys at the big, biggest positions of need for the following year. So I think there's uh, any secondary reason beyond the lines of scrimmage why you feel good about Texas heading to the SEC next year is because he seems to have this roster primed to compete year in and year out. Yeah, I wouldn't be worried. I mean uh if anything's shown i mean the sec used to have the, the you know the be the, the label of being you know it's the us we're 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 nfl light we're the best you know conference in football and you notice they do have great teams and they continuously put great product out there but you know the big 10 is nothing to mess around with the pac 12 or whatever they were or now are you know th there are the, the the level of playing field is is i think it's even now and i with the the NIL and now the conference swap around, you're going to have a situation where uh, 
lots of teams are going to be competitive now. You're going to have teams, 10, 12, 14, 15, maybe even 20 teams that you say to yourself, oh, this team could be in contention for the, you know, 12 spots, one of the 12 spots. You know, just because there's 12 spots now, I don't think it's going to be a thing where, oh, it's going to be as easy. There's still going to be four or five, six teams on the bubble where you're like, man, that team could be, you know, one loss team, no loss team, two tough losses might make it in. So you're, you're going to have that level of playing field competition-wise is going to be great to watch over the next couple of years. So it was exciting to learn, I think it was early December, that you were going to be headlining the Comedy Mothership the first weekend here in January. It's just in a couple of days now. Uh, obviously, your buddy Ari is uh, headlined there. And uh, I see uh, through, again, social media stalking you on Instagram that you, Ari, Ryan O'Neill, former friend of the show, Jason Tebow, back when he was doing the uh, NFL Red Zone thing on Sundays. You guys have been uh, touring uh, over the last several months and years. So uh, how excited are you to uh, to get to check out the Comedy Mothership this weekend? I'm thrilled because I've only heard great things. I follow them on social media, obviously. And, you know, you get the pictures every night of what's going on and the people they have there. Willy Wonka's built a chocolate factory, and it's really <laughs> wonderful. And I can't wait to go try it out. I've heard the crowds are great. Um, the shows are selling unbelievable. I think two or three of them already sold out. So if you're looking for tickets, get them now. I'm bringing Ryan O'Neill to work with me. So he's going to oh, come nice. down and open for me. This weekend, so he'll be here, the uh, the Indiana uh, ass kicker. So he'll be in town, and um, yeah, so we're gonna have a great time. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, O'Neill is. Uh, he may not be as well known as uh, the likes of Steve Ranazizi. He is hilarious, though. Make sure to hilarious. You're you're right. There aren't a, a ton of tickets remaining. People need to go to comedymothership.com. They will be sold out by Friday night. Certainly by Saturday night as well. It's been interesting to be a fan of stand-up comedy for a long time because I feel like in the last couple of years, we've seen a shift where stand-up comedy has gotten more popular than ever. But with that comes a lot of new people to the art form on the audience side of things. And a lot of those new people are coming in based on crowd work clips that they're seeing on Instagram, TikTok, and things like that. And I think that's led to more people feeling like they need to be a part of the show versus understanding the uh, that this is a performance art that you're watching, that this is something that's been rehearsed, it's been written down, it's been memorized in a lot of ways, and you're not part of the show unless the comedian wants to make you a part of the show. Have you seen an uptick in people just trying to yell stuff out at you as you've been doing stand-up over the last year or two? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I would say a, a slight uptick, especially in spots where like I got a, a, a lady in Philly that went a little nuts on some jokes and stuff and caused a scene which you're like, Philly, come on, Philly, you guys are tougher than that. And then I was literally just in Alaska this past weekend for uh, New Year's. And, you know, the, obviously they don't get a ton of comedy and stuff up there. Yeah, well, sunlight as well, uh, warmth as well. Uh, but yeah, they, uh, I had some, a couple great shows and a couple shows where people just were like, oh, we'll just yell out whatever. Or like if they thought like whatever I said, they had a tag or they want to yell something like free for all. So I explained, you have to kind of, some of the, it's not their fault necessarily. You just, an audience needs to be trained a little bit. Yeah. An audience has to, especially in cities where there's comedy, new comedy clubs popping up. Some of these cities, and it's not like you got to be trained. Like we're going to teach you what's funny. You can figure out what's funny on your own, but you got to do it by the rules that we're going to like, you know, obviously no heckling, no make, wait for your turn. If they, if they want you to be a part of the show, they'll pull you in. When it's time to be quiet, be quiet. You know, like all the different, Things that make great comedy clubs great. 
they take time. Now, mothership, obviously, it's, you've got to grade that on a curve. You're coming to a great city, a great comedy city, previous to Joe going there with his club. Yeah. And on top of that, you have a comedian, a, gra a great comedian, building a place that he wants other great comedians to want to perform at. So those audiences are, I'm sure, are going to be immediately amazing because it takes, you know, when you have that kind of person in, in charge who wants to build that kind of place, it it makes it better. It, ma it makes comedians want to come there. And so it's important. Yeah, and Joe has borrowed from the idea that the comedy store has done so well out in L.A. for the longest time where pretty much everybody working in that club is a comedian and they do a good job of communicating to the people that they are taking to their seats what the rules are and making sure that everybody understands that. You will still get the occasional Yahoo, though. Like I saw somebody start to try and go after Tony Hinchcliffe, which is a terrible person to try and go after. Uh, one of the first months that the that the mothership was open, and they just got tossed straight out of there. She was she didn't like something that he had said, and her boyfriend was like giving her the side eye, and, and he stayed in his seat. Like she got thrown out. He's like, "Sorry, I want to see this show. This is a Rogan and Friends show, so I'm not going anywhere." So she got embarrassed like that. But the the last time I saw something happen at the mothership, it was somebody who had just either done too much of something. I don't know if it was alcohol. It probably wasn't weed. Yeah. There was something else going on to where they. They literally had to receive assistance just to get out of the club because there was a potential medical episode there. Yeah, well, people, you know, edibles now, people hit the gas. And you don't know, you know, you don't know. It's not like you watch them drink 10 drinks or they have five empty glasses in front of them or, you know, there's, you know, paraphernalia around them. You eat an edible before you come in. And next thing you know, you're, you're you know, you're, a, I'm, I, I'm a huge pot advocate. I, I love pot, but it's like sometimes people need to know they get they hit the gas too hard. It's it's you know it is a thing where you can go crazy on it. So you know people get a little bit nuts, especially in comedy clubs where they feel that relaxed. And yeah, once in a while you'll run across that. But for the most part, it's just yeah, you it's individuals who don't really know what how this art form works and what to do and what not to do and how to handle themselves. So it takes a little bit of managing, little you know, little bit of sometimes security. But for the most part, I would say it's less than 1% of the time that you run into something like that. What was the subject that triggered the woman in Philly? I had done a joke about meeting my wife because I would ask people that this couple told me they met on Tinder. And I said, that's not bad because I met my wife because I dry humped her from behind with no consent to R. Kelly's bump and grind in 1997. So I don't know what's worse, right? So this lady was like, the, you know, she was basically like consent and rape jokes are not funny. Under any, under any, you know, so you get that and you're like, okay, well, I understand your point. That joke wasn't for you. You didn't like it. Let's move on. Like, let's be adults. You, even if you didn't like it so much, you want to leave, then just get up and leave. But you don't have to make a thing out of it. Nobody can, not, you're not going to start a thing in a comedy club where everybody gets on your fucking side. Unless the comedian has gone off the fucking, you know, we've had a couple instances of people losing their mind, comedians on stage. You know, I don't want to name who, but, you know, we all know who the, the classic ones are. So it has happened. Yeah, but, you know, for the most part, everybody just wants to watch the guy or the person, the comedian work, and therefore you're not going to get everybody on your – you're not going to – the lady in Philly was not going to get – you know what? The, 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 the union worker in the front row who spent all his money on the tickets and got a babysitter and stuff, he's not going to go, you know what? This lady's right. 
this lady's right. Jokes are not funny, even if they're not for me. You know, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely, it's, it's, I mean, it's mental in my mind to think as someone who's been in it, who's been made fun of, who's had stupid things happen to them and horrible, you know, like horrible things said about them. If you can't take it, you you just, that's, it's a joke. You got to move on. It's, no one is going to get hurt here. That's the one of the reasons why stand-up comedy is so important right now with as serious as things got in the COVID era with not just the pandemic, but all the stuff that happened during that time as well. It's like that the, the response to that by society was embracing stand-up comedy. And it's the there's yeah. certainly a place to uh, to stand up and object to something being said that's uh, that's offensive or mildly offensive. What you said, by the way, wasn't even that offensive. My goodness, please. Uh, but uh, the comedy club is not that place. That, if anything, is kind of the last bastion where you can get away with saying things that are messed up pretty much anywhere else, but you're saying it on a stage to people who have paid to laugh. And that's the other thing people need to think about, also, whether they're trying to object to the comedian or just throw something out because they want to be a part of that next Instagram clip. Keep in mind that you're not just ruining the show for the comedian. You're ruining the show for every person who paid 30 to 40 to 50 bucks who is sitting around you as well, because you have just interrupted the flow of what that person is trying to do on stage. Exactly. Imagine a maniac went to a movie, right? And in the middle of the movie, there was a line said, and they just started getting up and being like, this isn't funny or that's not right. Can you guys believe it's like everybody would tell that person to shut, shut up. Yeah. You know, and that's typically what happens in the, but it's like the fact no one would do that. People don't do that because it's a movie. And be, I guess because we're a real person, you think you're going to get some sort of, you know, effect or you're going to get the, you know, the, 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 the resolve that you want. But it's, it's in the grand scheme of things, all you're doing is ruining everybody else's experience and, and you're not adding to anything and all, and, and, the, and you're making yourself probably more miserable. You know, I'm not saying you got to yeah. find everything funny, but if you don't, if you're going to hold on and have that much resentment towards a, 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 a joke that probably was definitely not written about you in particular, then you, how, how, how tight are you going to be wound for the rest of your life? So it's, it's, yes, you do run into those people very, very few and far between, but for the most part. People that spend that money and they come out and, and, you know, these nights are expensive sometimes and they don't want, they just want to go and have fun and laugh. And if they don't find a particular joke or a subject funny, then either you wait to the next thing or you get up and you leave. And maybe the next day you, you, you know, you talk to, you, Hey, that guy wasn't for me. This person wasn't for me. That's it. No need to do a whole thing. So that's that's how I feel. That's why what I've encountered, and that's how I go about it. I think that's very well said. Now, do you still live in Southern California? You still live in L.A.? No, I'm in New York now. Oh, okay, I've been in New York what's, for a couple of years. Yeah. What what spurred the move? Uh, right after the pandemic and everything, it's just uh, you know, my family was all situated here, and we'd been going back and forth for a long time, and I think my kids wanted to be with their cousins and stuff. So for us, it was a great uh, time. Everybody was sort of picking up and moving to where they wanted to go. And we've been in LA for 20 years. So it's nice to be, I grew up here. My wife grew up here. So it's nice to be back here and doing, you know, stand up and also being around family. I think you hit a good time to eject from California too. Yeah. You know, I mean, it wasn't like a, I wasn't part of that whole, like we got to get out of here. I liked California. I just kind of felt like 
I it's been enough. It's been long enough. Here's Steve Ranaziz. He's going to be at the Comedy Mothership this weekend. Not a ton of tickets left. Go to ComedyMothership.com to snag those that remain. Steve, always a pleasure catching up with you, man. Glad to hear things are going so well. Safe travels to and from Austin this weekend. Thank you. Great catching up with you as well. Be well. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. Thanks to you for hanging out. For more of the show and to connect on social media, visit BooksOnPod.com. Talk to you next time on Books on Pod.